Titus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. We take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear the Holy Spirit is saying to the church through his word. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. And Happy New Year to everyone. My prayer is that everybody has a healthy and prosperous New Year. Wow, a little bit out of breath from walking up the stairs. Wow. Boy, well, thank God I have to get back into some more exercise, evidently. Body's trying to tell me something. All right. So, today's podcast is going to set the tone for the rest of the year. So, let me just uh, say this. We're already six days into the year, and the church has been bombed with scandal. We all know about the issues now that are coming up with Bishop T.D. Jakes. People, some people I've listened to on, on YouTube say they have receipts. But I'm st- even with that, I'm still having a wait-and-see mode. Don't know. I'm hoping the allegations aren't true. But if it does turn out to be so, uh, well, not the first, it won't be the last. I've spent a lifetime of supporting ministries and people, and I've been burned so many times. It's, it's, be- it's beyond belief. 
Um, I was an avid supporter of uh, Robbie Zacharias as an apologist, although towards the end, I did start questioning some things because you would ask him a question and he'd give you an anecdotal story and he wasn't using a lot of scripture. So I guess say within the last four or five years of his lifetime, that started to become suspect to me. Like, why does this guy use scripture? He keeps telling you a story. You ask him a question, he tells you a story. And by the time the story's over, you forgot the question you asked him. And everybody starts clapping. I'm like, okay. And that's not necessarily the best way to do apologetics. But now we know why. Uh, I was an avid supporter of uh, Bill Gothard, Institute of Invasive Youth Conflicts. Went to his seminars, went to the minister's seminars. I'm trying to show you that anybody can be fooled. It's me, you, anybody. None of us are exempt from this. I'm just like you, a man. And I've made mistakes and sometimes in some ways got caught up in the wrong things. But God is always good because the elect, God says if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But God always either exposes or helps us find a way out. And uh, anyway, found out Gothard was, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, Chester Molester. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I, I've been burned. I've been burned. Let me just put it to you that way. Uh, I've been saved now from 64. So 54 years I've been saved now. I've been in and out of church. And I've been to some good ones and I've been to some really bad ones. Uh, thank God the one I'm part of now is a good one. So I'm saying this is that when I talk about these things, I'm talking from experience. So not only do I know that of which I speak uh, experientially, but I also know of which I'm speaking about in terms of uh, biblically as well. So I, I can I can deal with you on both levels. Been there, done that, did it. So, you know, I understand the whole thing. Jace is not one I've always supported. I've uh, He and I have some uh, theological dis differences, so... I was never um, attached to him at all. Um, good speaker, whatever. But, you know, but I hate to see anybody fall. I hate to see anybody. It doesn't matter who it is, whether even, um, you know, get into embroiling scandal. That's that's not cool. I, I don't like to see that. So this is a little test run here because this has been cutting off after, after six minutes. So it does. I'm just going to go ahead and shift this over. And then um, try to figure out why this thing keeps cutting off of me every, every six minutes or so. So um, I may have to revert back to my phone. Anyway, so this is what we're dealing with here um, in terms of uh, what's going on in the body of Christ now today. And then that, that debacle of a service at um, Dream Factory Church in Atlanta. Uh, swag surfing, walking it out. Some I didn't hear the one with Mystical. I saw the other two I heard and saw that part. But somebody claimed that we were playing Mystical Shake It Fast. Who knows? In either case, in either case, Saints, um, We are at war. 
the gospel message is being twisted and perverted. And that's why I had that scripture read in the beginning about Paul said, grievous fools would enter in not sparing the flock. And so now as believers and as a podcast, we will be dealing with a lot of this stuff this year, not so much the controversies, but more so the errors and teachings and challenges to the church. We're being challenged in ways that we haven't been challenged uh, in quite some time. I'm at six minutes now, so I'm waiting to see if this thing's going to cut off on me. So if it seems kind of abrupt, that's why, but I'm going to go. If it does cut off, I'll come back in and fix it, and we'll continue on. All right, so having said that, okay, hasn't cut off. Well, wonderful. Having said that, um, basically the greatest challenge is to the Bible itself because once you can discredit the Bible itself as being the uh, inerrant, infallible word of God, then it's an open door. It's anybody's guess. Take your pick. The church has been challenged from her inception. This is the seven-headed dragon with the, t with the ten horns waiting to devour the man-child. And when he couldn't devour the man-child, then he went after her, the remnant of the woman, which is the church and true Israel, whoever they are. I don't know. Everybody says they're Jewish, but I don't know. I don't know if everybody says they're Jewish. It really is Jewish. Don't know. Just like we don't know everybody who says they're Christian or church is really, truly church. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So this is what we, this is what I'm, I'm getting at here, saints. Is that this is where we are. But I discovered a certain thing. I had a little bit of a epiphany if you want to call it that uh, some illumination and it occurred thought occurred to me i was watching this one podcast and they had all these different people hebrew israelites on there and one sister was on there claiming that paul and jesus disagreed and or paul and james disagreed and there was a fight and james paul pushed him down and she's saying paul killed james but then it doesn't really say that in the writing it says that Somebody pushed James down, and et cetera, and, um, and there was a conflict there between, uh, and, it's, and it is a sense because the book of James is written by James, which and the James I'm talking about is Jesus' brother, who was the head of the church of Jerusalem, and how Paul, you know, him and Paul got into, got into it, et cetera. And it, later on, Martin Luther didn't like the book of James because he's, he's teaching justification by faith. And he reads the book of James, faith without words is dead. And he called it the epistle of straw. So we're going to look at that. Did Paul really have a conflict with James? Is, is what Paul's saying and what the book of James saying? Two different things. Um, spoiler alert, they're not saying different things. And that never happened in terms of... Um, at least in our, in our 66 books. Now, I adhere to 66 books as a canon of Scripture. I'm not going to change that. Um, I've looked at the evidence for some of the other books, and I can see why they, they don't belong in there. 
but there's a whole lot of them. There's no way I could possibly sit down and have time to read each and every single one of them. They're all scattered all over the place. You got the Book of Judas, uh, the Book of Enoch, and of course we know the apocryphal books, which is in the Catholic Douay Bible. They have seventy-two books. We have sixty-six. Um, I've read I've read the apocryphal books, First uh, and Second Maccabees. I've read the um, Syriac, the Book of Wisdom, etc. I've read I've read those, um, and some of them have good historical value, but they're not part of the canon of scripture. They can't be part of the canon of scripture. So here we are, saints. What do we do here? All right. And a lot of people out here are confused. And so these preachers, these uh, these wolves now have adopted and are preaching out of some of these apocryphal books and some of these other uh, books that they're beginning to use now in addition to the Bible and in, and in some cases to contradict what is in the scriptures. And they sound so clever and so scientific and so know-it-all-y. Like, y'all stupid. I did my studying. I went to college. I did my homework. And I came back and I realized the Bible was wrong. I got a degree. I'm doctor. Well, for every doctor that you can show me that says the Bible is wrong, I can show you a doctor that says the Bible is right. So no matter what level you want, we're going, there's going to be disagreement and discrepancies. So at some point, after you've gone through all this mess, you're just going to have to pick a side. Choose one. You can't continue to halt between two opinions. Which is it now? I'm casting my lot in with the 66 books. I'm staying right there. I believe that's the canon of Scripture. That's the word of God to mankind. Everything else outside of that is suspect, as far as I'm concerned. Some people say, oh, these books date back to the mystery religions. First century came out the same time as the, as the other books, did, which that's debatable. That's highly debatable. I don't I don't think anything uh, comes close to being quickly. Really, I think within less than 100 years, I think the New Testament was up, was up and running. Um, whereas some of these other books didn't show up till the second or third century. So go figure. But some people will claim they were also in the first century with the church. But again, if it, even if there was, it, it wasn't that many. Okay, so what's going on here? What, 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 what's happening here? What's, what's up? So we will be going to go through this this year, and we're going to take a look at all these various things. And I'm going to look at all the heresies that came in the first and second and third centuries. Why are you saying that, Brother Ryan? Because... The, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, I believe it is, there is nothing new under the sun. That which is, was, and it shall be. Everything the Hebrew Israelites are telling you, everything that these people who are telling you about mystery religions, every, about Mithra and virgin birth, and Mithra had all these gods had all these virgin births, and etc. It all dates back to the second and third and maybe overlapping somewhat in the first century and the church confronted and defeated every last one of them in that century all that's happening now the devil recognizes that most of us are historically illiterate don't know history 
And all he's doing is resurfacing the same old heresies of the church defeated back then because he has a whole new generation that he can dazzle and mystify with nonsense. That's why I'm doing this. I'm going to go back to the first, second, and third centuries, and we're going to look at the various church councils, and we're going to look and see how the church defeated these heresies back then. And it's the same nonsense and foolishness being pushed today. Nothing new under the sun. That which is, was, and it shall be. In fact, some of this stuff I can trace back to the garden. Been there, done that, did it, seen it. I admonish you if you're a preacher, become a student of history. Master it. That in literature, it'll help you become a better preacher and teacher when you understand the context in which a lot of these things are being done. There's a certain segment of society that we will never convince. We can present the best arguments and the best facts and lay it out, and they're just not going to accept it. Why is that? Because Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. Unless there's an act of God working on the human heart to draw that person, it doesn't matter how much apologetics I lay out, that person is just not coming to Jesus. It's just that simple. So that's what we will be doing. And so this is a podcast today. I'm just going to be a little quick intro into it. And then we will get into uh, how did we get here, so to speak. This is all along the lines of that strong delusion, how that God has sent them that they would believe a lie because they received not the love of the truth. Wherefore, God gave them over. God hands these people over. Here, here's some, here's some documents from the first century. Yeah, run with those. God hands them over to those things. The first issue in the church was, should we keep the law or not? The apostles and the council of Jerusalem resolved that. Lickety split. Oh, well, you know, P P Paul didn't go see the apostles after his conversion. Why was he in the desert 14 years in Arabia? What was he doing there? He didn't go submit himself to the apostles because he didn't like them. Now, granted, there was some tension, and we're going to talk about those tensions as well, because, yeah, absolutely there was tension. Paul was an educated man. The apostles were ignorant and learned fishermen. Yeah. And you know how it is. Knowledge puffs up. I got an education and you don't. So really, I got to listen to these guys? Are you kidding me? I was trained by Gamal. I was taught by the best. Although the those so-called ignorant and unlearned fishermen, by the way, and tax collector, etc., we're taught by the best. Jesus, if Jesus is teaching you, you can't get in a higher university than that. That's that's top of the line. You you a number one. You you head of the class. And so Paul did go to Peter, and he just met Peter, and then I think they was said it was about three or four years when he finally meets the apostles. And as the scriptures have said that when he first met them, he wasn't impressed. It says that Paul says that I was I met the apostles, but I wasn't impressed. This is it. These are the guys that are in charge. I'm, I'm not impressed. He wasn't impressed with any of them. And he says it in his writings. But then later on, as time went on, and he grew to know them and they knew him, he changed his views. 
And then Peter even talks about Paul's writings in the in the affirmative, although Peter himself says they're a little hard to understand sometimes. Yeah, there was conflicts even after Christ left. They they had their conflicts. And people said, oh, a bunch of men got in a room and when they came up with these doctrines of the Trinity and stuff, there was war. They fought over them. They stabbed each other. They, they kidnapped each other. They fought, fist fight, cursed each other out. I'm pretty sure that really happened in some of these councils. I'm sure they went to war. At least we know in uh, the, 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 between Arius and Athanasius, uh, there was kidnapping, I think, twice. Um yeah, I mean, attempted murder. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yes. You know why? Because you're dealing with human beings. And anytime you deal with human beings, it's going to get, there's going to be some dust-ups. There's going to be some headbutting. These guys weren't so sanctified that, that, that you know, we, I don't know, we almost deify them. Like, these guys weren't like the rest of us. They were men just like us. They fought. They cursed. They, they butted heads. They disagreed. But that's what makes it even more remarkable because through all of that, and God providentially works through all of that to make sure we get the 66 books that we have today. Yeah, that's right. Even with all of that, God is still at work. People make it seem like if people got mad and somebody punched somebody in the face, God just folded like, okay, I can't help these guys. That was just human beings being human beings. And so we will be getting this year, God willing, I want to have some guests on here. We're going to talk about some of these things, about pertaining to the first century church, etc. And we're going to look at the various church councils and what was at stake and what was the, the backstory behind that. All right, so I'm going to stop here and we're going to take a break and I'll be right back for the next segment. And to lay some things out. And believe me, I know I haven't, we read the scripture here. I'm going to get to that in the next segment. But all this is introduction for the year. So uh, you're just going to hear a lot of me talking. But we're going to get to the scriptures, I promise you. Sola Scriptura. Man, I believe in that Bible and the Bible alone. There's a song that just popped into my head. It's a hymn called Jesus Shall Reign Where'er the Sun Does His Successive Journeys runs, Run. His kingdom will spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Wow. Yeah. Our God reigns. He will reign. This is, this is happening. Can't be stopped. All right. So we had the call to arms. The scripture that I read had read to you, um, which was out of um, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 to 32. Paul is on his final journey, uh, coming up to uh, Miletus, and he sends for the elders of Ephesus, and he makes a very interesting statement. Uh, at about verse 29 of Acts chapter 20, it says this, 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, not just wolves, these are going to be fierce wolves, will come in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. That's what you saw happening down there in, 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 in on these church, the so-called um, New Year's Eve watch night services, or whatever you want to call it. There's fierce wolves coming in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from among us, from out of the church, will arise men speaking twisted things, and the goal to draw away disciples after themselves. That's what they want to do, get people to follow them. This is where we are. And that's what this podcast is about, giving warning to heeding, uh, not following wolves, even the ones with the right doctrine, the people I followed had good doctrine. Their doctrine was tight. They would, they would agree with me on the solas and the 66 books and the infallibility of scripture and everything else. But boy, their lifestyle, you, a lot to be desired. So either it's in doctrine or in lifestyle. They may have all the doctrinal ducks in a row, but secretly in the back room, they're damaging God's sheep and doing things they shouldn't be doing. Or sometimes it's both. They're both heretical and they're damaging the sheep of God on, on both levels. Wow, scary stuff, isn't it? So this is where we are right now, saints. And this is why, like I said on this podcast, we will be dealing with, we're going to start dealing with this stuff. And particularly uh, the errors that are trying to be perpetrated or forced on God's people. So where people are confused now, um, the LGBTQ community, they're pretty much in going to force the church or attempting to force the church to accept it. And if you're like me, who calls it out as sin? Now, I'm not for disrespecting people. I respect people, gay or straight, doesn't make any difference. I'm not homophobic, none of that. But if you ask me, the Bible says it is sin. Same thing with abortion. Now, I'm not that ridiculous or extreme. I mean, if it comes down between the life of the mother and the mother and the baby, a hard choice has to be made. But it's a situation where somebody's going to die. It, it won't matter what she does. She, whether she gets the abortion or does it, somebody's going to die. And the mother has to consider her health. And so I think in that context, woman has to make a decision of what she wants to do. But abortion, just for the sake of having one, the Bible teaches you don't kill the innocent. That's murder. There are police stations and fire stations, at least I know in New York, you can drop the child off, no questions asked, and go about your business. You don't have to kill it. So there's no excuse to kill it, at least particularly here in this country. But it's murder. Now, right away, I've lost a whole lot of people in the audience. How dare you? Abortion is murder. Homosexuality is sin. The true body of Christ cannot and must not ever recognize same-sex marriage. It's just that simple. Oh, yeah, you can do it and get the paper and stuff. and The state can sanction it, but the church can't sanction it. Or she shouldn't sanction it. Now, that right there got me in trouble. I got a lot of people already angry at me already for having said that. 
So this is what I'm talking about, saints. When you take a stand, when you when you draw a line in the sand and tell the devil here no further, then you get into trouble. Now, do I know? I know some same-sex couples, and I treat them with dignity and respect. I'm not mad. I'm not going to go to war, or whatever, because I feel I know that people just make their own decisions. But if you're asking what I believe, I just stated my belief. That's my position. Not going to change. And so, as Christians and as believers, uh, we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to. be clear and concise about where we stand on our various issues that the Bible makes clear. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. If you find yourself in a church and it's all about you, it's a dream factory and it's all about you achieving your dreams and your goals for life, is God interested in that? Eh, to a point, I suppose. I mean, he made us, and I, I, you know, common sense that he would want us to uh, do some things to be fruitful in life. So I suppose so. You, you can make that case. Oh, wait, wait a minute. But at the same time, saints, it's what you can't do, though. That's still not the gospel. It's not going to bring a person from death to life. God has chosen to save men through the preached word. That's how God saves people. Now, can God sovereignly save people who are in uh, doctrinally unsound churches where there's a lot of foolishness, as you saw there, that previous evening service? Yes, he can. Because God can sovereignly reach out and save whoever he wants. However, that based on what the scriptures are saying, and I hope that God did sovereignly save some people, but if He, you know, but it, it doesn't appear that that's what transpired. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save men. So, saints, this is the time now has come for us to pick a side. You can't halt between two opinions anymore. Are you coming all the way in on the side? of Jesus Christ on the side of the 66 books as being the word of God. Or you might decide to go on the other side. Don't believe the Bible is inerrant or infallible. And in fact, there are other books that weren't added in. I don't agree with Paul. I'm, I'm, I think we need to keep the law. I think we need to worship on Saturday instead of Sunday, so on and so forth. Just pick a side. Can't stop halting between two opinions. I'm on the side of the 66. Yeah, that's right. I worship on Sunday. What of it? Yeah. See? It doesn't matter one day, Tuesday, whether it doesn't matter what day you worship. It's not it's not a big deal. Oh no, it's Saturday's a Sabbath. I didn't say Saturday, wasn't this? Of course Saturday is a Sabbath. And if you want to keep the Sabbath day, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm not opposed to that at all. I've been in I've preached in Seventh-day Adventist churches, okay, on Saturday. I've worshipped with them. Yeah, that's right, I've worshipped with them. 
God has people, his people everywhere. But we all have a little bit of error in the process. That's all. I preach in one that's Pentecostal churches. I've been in there too. Okay? But God has a remnant. Now, I don't know who the remnant is. I can't walk in there and say who's a remnant and who isn't. I don't know. I don't know. But I know if they're in there, eventually God, will, then they're elect, eventually God will get them out. God will open up their eyes and they'll be able to see some other things. See, to see the truths that are in the word of God. So, wow, how to get down that rabbit hole. So that's where we are right now, saints. And it's alarming to me and, and, and also heartbreaking. Because I hate to see God's people being led astray. You know, when somebody asks you a question on, on homosexuality and you're evolved and evolving, I mean, what is that all about? That's not a good answer. Just say it's sin and God does not sanction it. Male and female created he them. That's what it says. Now, what are you saying, Brother Reimer, that we're going to change the culture? No, we're not going to change the culture. Trying to stop the LGBTQ movement, trying to stop uh, these people who want to tie us back to the law and bind us back to the old covenant, is like trying to close the barn door after the horses are out. Society is going this way. It can't be stopped. And a lot of Christians are willing to destroy democracy by voting for a man who will. That's right, I'm saying it. Uh, like I said, I'm going to lose a lot of listeners this year. But I, you, you can't want to vote for somebody who, who intends to, who potentially can become a dictator and attempt to save the country to stop these movements, which, by the way, still won't stop them. They're going to continue on. You know, I don't care who you put in the Supreme Court. I don't care who you put in the presidential office. I don't care who you put in Congress. The horses are out of the barn. We can't turn the tide back. Why? Because in prophecy, these things have to happen. And, it's, and, and, and we're so fixated on what the world is doing. See, that's another trick of the enemy. We're so fixated. Look what the world is doing. This, that, uh, woke. Culture wars. We need Christian nationalism. Meantime, the real threat to the church is internal. It's internal. That's what external threats, if you even want to call them that. The sinner's going to do what they do. Okay, that, that, that's, this is what they do. Sinners are sinners because they sin. Okay? That's what they do. That's what sinners do. So now you're going to the world and you're actually going to ask the world to repent? That doesn't make any sense. Not practical, is it? To stop doing things. Yes, I know we call sinners to repent. I, I get that. 
but you're actually thinking the world's going to change. <laughs> right. That's not going to work. All right, I'm trying to find something here in Revelation, so just bear, bear with me a moment. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, it says this, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. Listen to this, saints. Now, God has just sent some plagues to the earth and killed some people. And after they and they know it's God doing this. Look what it says. Those who were not killed by these plagues, with full knowledge of what was happening, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Look at nine twenty one. Nor did they repent of their murders. They kept on murdering. Their sorceries kept on with the drugs and the witchcraft. Their sexual immorality kept on with the the gay love, kept on with the fornication, with the adultery. They kept right on with it. Their sexual immorality, and they kept on with their thefts. They didn't stop them. Chapter 16, verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Instead of repenting and giving God glory, they cursed God. 1611. And cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. That's what I'm saying. You are not going to change these people's minds. Here God sending all these plagues onto the earth, and they just, Bible says, and they cursed God, and they repented not. There's a certain segment of the population on this planet, I don't care what arguments you put out. You could work miracles and wonders in front of them. You could walk on water. They're not going to repent of their lifestyle. They love it, and they've made their choice. And you know why? Because they picked a side. They made a decision. What I don't understand is why we can't pick a side and make our decision. Jesus said, don't think that I have come to bring peace into earth. Yes, I know he's the prince of peace. But at this moment, he said, I have come to put a sword in the earth. To set people against one another. I'm not talking about violence, people. Please don't go get, don't go get no guns and no swords and no knives. We ain't talking about that. I'm just talking about you living your life for God and taking the position that you do. And this is how you're living your life because they're going to take the position that's how they live their life. I'm not worried about getting legislation to make them stop it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about any of those things. I'm worried about what are we doing in the church. Let's clean our house up first. And so, yes, saints, there is a civil war in the church. That's right, I said it, civil war. Got the heretics on one side and those of us who want to preach the pure and unadulterated word of God on the other side. 
those who want to remove the foundations. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Those who want to, to destroy the foundations of the church. How are they destroying the foundations of the church? With these new ap apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets are foundational ministries of the church. First century, the first century apostles and the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets, first century, laid the groundwork for the church. The foundations is done. You don't keep, you don't build the foundation over and over again. But if you have new apostles and new prophets, what are you going to end up with? A new foundation. And eventually you're going to end up with a different Christ. And I see that happening already. Things get looser and looser and looser by the moment. All the signs are there. We're going to look at some of the signs and then I'll wrap up this podcast because this is just an intro. Because by God's grace, we're going to go hard this year. Not because I want to be that way, but because I love the church and I have to sound the alarm. And oh God, may those who have an ear to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. That's all I'm saying. I think I'm going to close this segment out with a prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray for all those who are listening to this. That you will let your people hear what you're saying, not hear me. But hear what you're saying to them through the word of God. And that you would help them to rise up to the occasion, Lord. Of drawing a line in the sand. Help us, Lord, to tell the devil, here, no further. Lord God, open eyes, open ears, and open hearts, mine included. Help me to get it right, because I don't want to mislead anybody. God, please help me. Do not let me mislead anyone. But Lord, we, help us to tell the truth. Enlighten, strengthen the body of Christ, and help us to get strong in you, Lord, and deepen our relationship and our walk with you. Nevertheless, Father, not as I will, but as you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, amen. All right, now, we're just going to talk a little bit about some indicators, things that are, what, what's, what says to me that, that, that things are shifting in, in the church and the body of Christ today. Um, by the way, you, well, I can, I can deal with that five-fold ministry thing another time. It's actually four, but okay, we'll say five. Here's my thing. There are certain indicators. Here's the things that are, that are alarming to me. This is what I call indicators. That entertainment has overtaken worship in the church. Entertainment has replaced worship in the church. A man of God by the name of A.W. Tozer died in 1963, along with JFK and C.S. Lewis. Bit of a mystic, 
but I believe there are some mystical aspects to Christianity, but uh, we won't deal with that today. Because any subjective experience, any mystical experience that can't be substantiated with scripture, you toss it. So he comes on a little strong here because I'm not totally against entertainment. I like entertainment. I probably go downstairs and ride my bike a little bit, exercise bike, and uh, while watching some television. Okay, so yeah, it happens. Uh, so I'm not anti-entertainment. I like my movies, etc. But it does speak in, I, I think, in the context of the church a Sunday morning service where the in-gathering of the believers come together to worship as a community of believers and people to worship God. That should not, entertainment shouldn't be the, the, the focus of that. But it has become that. This is, this is the article he wrote, and um, you would think he was alive today. It's called The Great God Entertainment. You can look it up online. It's free. You can read it, the whole thing for yourself. The Great God Entertainment is ardently worshipped by millions. There are millions of people who cannot live without amusement. Well, A.W. Tozer, amusement's not bad. I think we all need a little bit of amusement to divert us from the realities of life. Life can be harsh, and a little bit of amusement is okay. Um, so I think it's kind of harsh for him to say we cannot live without amusement. Like that's a problem, but but I understand what he's saying. We take him, but you take amusements to the extreme to where now I can't even go to a worship service unless I'm amused. It's got to be some sort of entertainment element to this, as though the music enough isn't enough. Uh, so you know I can kind of feel good. It's got to be poppy. Got to snap my fingers. It's got to be cool, hip. Um, in that I would agree with him. Life without some form of entertainment, or let me put it this way, worship without some form of entertainment for them is simply intolerable. They look forward to the blessed relief of afforded by professional entertainers and other forms of, of psychological narcotics as a dope addict looks to his daily fix of heroin. Without them, they could not summon courage to face existence or summon courage to worship God. Anyone with common human feeling will object to this simple pleasures of no one with the common human feeling will object to the simple pleasures of life, nor to such harmless forms of entertainment as may help to relax the nerves and refresh the mind exhausted by toil. So he kind of cleans it up when he, in this little paragraph right here. It puts it in perspective. Such things, if used with discretion, may be a blessing along the way. That is one thing. But when we have an all-out devotion to entertainment, remember now, this guy died in 63. He's not even living now. He'd probably have a heart attack, right, if he was alive now. But the all-out devotion to entertainment as a major activity for which men live is definitely something else. And I would say the all-out devotion to entertainment as an activity for which we must have it, otherwise I can't attend church. The sinners won't come in. No, the service worship service is not for the sinners, Einstein. Yes, I'm getting a little fired up here. The worship service is for the believers. Well, what if a sinner comes in? Well, he's just there. 
and I believe if genuine worship is going on, he'll know something's something's going on in there. He has two choices. He either gets saved or he'll leave. Or he'll start asking questions like, I don't understand this. This is not entertaining. No, it isn't. It's worship. And then maybe now you can have a conversation with him and sit down and explain the difference. The growth, the growth of the amusement phase of human life to such fantastic proportions is a portent, a threat to the souls of modern men. And I, I would say this with the growth of the amusement phase in the church has grown to such fantastic proportions in the church, it's a threat to the souls of the modern believer. It is now a multi-million, or uh, not, now it's a multi-billion dollar racket with greater power over the saints and over their character than any other educational influence on earth. And the ominous thing is that is power, hear it, the ominous thing is that the power that these this entertainment in the church does is almost exclusively evil. It rots your inner life and crowds out the eternal thoughts which should fill the souls of men. The whole thing has grown into a veritable religion which holds its devotees with a strange fascination. A religion, incidentally, against which it is now dangerous to speak. A religion against now which is dangerous to speak. That was in 1963. Or before 63 when he wrote this. And I'm telling you right now, it's dangerous for me to even say these things. For centuries, the church stood solidly against every form of worldly entertainment. In other words, we didn't bring it in the church. We stood up against it. No. This is a Sunday morning worship service. We're worshiping God. We're not bringing the world in here. Because we saw it for what it was, a device for wasting time, a refuge from the disturbing voice of conscience, a scheme to divert attention from accountability to God, a scheme to divert attention from accountability to God. And for this, the church was criticized and abused by the, by the world. But late it seems like the church has gotten tired of the abuse and we've just given up the struggle. We appear to have decided that if we cannot conquer <clears throat> the world, we might as well join them. She may as well join forces with the entertainment industry and make what use she can of the entertainment industry's powers. So today we have the astonishing spectacle of millions of dollars being poured into the unholy job of providing earthly entertainment for the so-called Christians. Today we have the astonishing spectacle of millions of dollars being poured into the unholy job of providing earth entertainment for the so-called Christians. Religious entertainment is in many places rapidly crowding out, and I would say it has crowded out the serious things of God. Religious entertainment has rapidly and right now in this time in which I am living, religious entertainment has crowded out the serious things of God. Many of our churches today are nothing more than second-rate theaters with fifth-rate producers, and they peddle their shoddy wares with the full approval of church leaders, bishops, 
who can even quote a holy text in defense of their delinquency, and hardly a man dares raise his voice against it. This unholy entertainment amuses its devotees mainly by telling them stories. The love of stories, which is a characteristic of childhood, has taken fast hold on the minds of, and this is his words, not mine, retarded saints of our day. So much so that many manage to make a comfortable living by spinning yarns and serving them up in various disguises to church people. What is natural and beautiful in a child may be shocking when it persists into adulthood, and more so when it appears in the sanctuary and seeks to pass for true religion. When this stuff shows up in the sanctuary and, and attempts to pass for true worship. Is it not astonishing that with the shadow of atomic destruction hanging over the world, here we are on the brink of nuclear war. Atomic destruction hanging over the world. And the coming of Christ drawing near, that the professed followers of the Lord should be giving themselves up to religious amusements. Is this a time to be playing games? This is a time for the church to get serious about her business and get on with it. Preach the word when it's popular and like right now when it is not popular. Let them laugh at you. Let them scorn you. Let them lambast and lampoon you, hold you up to ridicule. Stand your ground. This is what God is saying. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Anyway, where was I? Professed followers of the Lord should be giving themselves up to religious amusement. That in an hour when mature saints are so desperately needed, we need desperately need mature saints. Vast numbers of believers should revert to spiritual childhood and clamor for religious toys. Grow up, saints. That's A.W. Tozer's The Great God Entertainment. I kind of modify it a little bit, updated a little bit. The second thing that bothers me is this over-preoccupation with the supernatural. People wanting to get prophetic words, a word for, is there any word from the Lord? Is there any word from the Lord? Do you know for 400 years between Malachi and, and, and Matthew, God said nothing. Sometimes there just isn't a word from the Lord. God has nothing else to say. But let me put it to you this way. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake to us by the prophets of old, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. God is still speaking. The apostles and prophets are still speaking. They never stopped. In the Bible, though dead, yet they still speak. They're there. Open your Bible and read it. And you'll hear what the apostles have to say, and you'll hear what the prophets have to say. That's what, that's what has to happen. Stop running around looking for soup for a sign and a wonder. The Bible says a wicked and a perverse generation seeks after a sign. This is tarot card reading. This is uh, palm reading in the church. Stop. 
Sowing a seed of harvest. <laughs> oh, God help us here, Jesus. Sowing seeds. If you go to a church and they're telling you that sowing seeds is about money, putting your money down and you see it grow in all kinds of foolishness. While that's an excellent allegory and an excellent analogy, the Bible, when it talks about sowing seed, is not talking about sowing money so you can get a return on your, on your, on your investment. The Bible talks about sowing seed, meaning preaching the word of God to see souls saved. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. It's about the saving of souls. But we can't get back to saving souls because we're so busy worried about planting money so we can be rich. And then we tell the lies, the devil tells you, well, you know, if you're rich, you could you could preach full time and. You know, listen, I, I have, an, I have a, a job. I work 12, eight, uh, 8 to 12 hours a day. I drive tractor trailer. And I wish I had more time to do ministry. But you know what? That's life. You go out, I'm responsible. I have a family I'm responsible for, so I take care of my family. And when I can, I preach the word. And I try to live out my Christian life um, in every aspect including how I drive my truck. Not always victorious, but I do try. But an over-preoccupation with the supernatural, you want to hear God speak. I like what uh, Justin Peter says. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God's voice audibly, read the Bible out loud. And you can hear God speaking to you audibly. And last but not least, syncretism. Syncretism in the church. That's when we mesh the things of the world in with the church, and we try to blend the two, like enagrams, which is all part of New Age. Um, you know, charts and personality charts, all that kind of, of stuff. That, that, that's, that's New Age stuff. We don't need to be blending that in with the church. But we try to take things from the world. That's what Word of Faith doctrine is. It's really metaphysics. It's Christian science, which I think MacArthur said is, John MacArthur said is neither Christian nor science. But it's where you, you, it's mind over matter. Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, the Secret, that book that's out, The Secret. That your words have power. And if you, if you can, you can, you, you know, you, you, whatever you, you, you think about, or whatever you, you, you focus on, like if you focus on money, money will come to you now. Whatever you say, whatever you speak, watch your words and, and all this nonsense. That's magic. One guy, I heard one guy, he said the Bible's a book of spells. The Bible, now people do use the Bible for witchcraft and to cast spells. I've met people who do that. But the Bible's not a book of spells, people, and any magical incantations. But we're trying to have syncretism. We're meshing that stuff in with the church and with the gospel. And it's taking us in all the wrong directions. Inner healing has replaced sanctification. So now you got to get your, your, your memories healed. You got to have your emotions healed. Instead of good old fashioned biblical process of sanctification, which is an act and of God. And so that's what has to happen. 
I want to read close out. I'm going to read to you two scriptures and then God willing next podcast, we're going to hit the ground running and we're going to take on some of these heresies. We'll start off with the Judaizers, those who wanted to tie Christianity to uh, Judaism. And I'll show you why it could not stay tethered to Judaism. Although I totally respect the Jews as a people and because they're the ones that brought us the, 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 the truth about the one true God and would even have the Bible. They were all written by, by the Hebrew or Jewish people. So uh, that's true. But this is the time of the Gentiles right now. And God had to detach this church from that to accomplish at a speed that needed to be done that otherwise would not have been done. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. Because I know this is where God was talking about his church. I mean, not about his church, talking about Israel at the time. But I believe it applies to the church today as well. And no, people, I've heard Dave Wilkerson use this before, and I'm not copying him. I know people go, no, I don't copy Dave Wilkerson. I was using this verse long before I knew Dave Wilkerson even picked it up. But you know what? It's the same Holy Spirit. See, that's why. That's why two people can use the same thing. It doesn't mean the other guy's copying the other one. Is, is the Bible just says what it says, and sometimes the Holy Spirit says, look at this, and you're like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and God's talking about the rebellion of Israel. And he talks about their iniquities and, and how they've um, rebelled against him. And then he talks about how he's going to judge the city. He's left you desolate, burned with fire, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know. Hold on one minute here. My daughter's trying to contact me. And well, one second here. You know, when your kids call you, you know, you got to, you know, my kids are priority, so I'll, I'll stop this podcast right now. If need be, hopefully she's all right. She's out there driving around in the snow. All right. Let's see what she says here. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10 says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people. Of Gomorrah. So God is calling Jerusalem, the holy people, his people, Sodom and Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fatted beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incense, which is symbolic of prayer. He says, your prayers is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, your holidays. And the calling of convo, holy convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I worship you, Lord. 
I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Because, number one, your hands are full of blood. A lot of these pastors and these pulpits, their hands are full of blood because they haven't led people to Christ. They might as well have taken a knife and slit these people's throats by not bringing them to Christ. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice and correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the case of the widows. That means looking out for those who have no political or economic power and not taking advantage of them. Thank you all of you for listening to The Sword and Spirit. I know some things podcasts somewhat overlap a little bit. Uh, but that's because some things bear repeating until we get it riveted in our hearts and in our minds. Um, so that's why some of the things make somewhat overlap. So next week, next week, God willing, we are going to do the Council of Jerusalem. You may want to look it up in the Book of Acts, the first council at Jerusalem. And that was one of the first... Uh, major points where the church had to make a decision. And the councils were designed to help us codify what we believe. That's why you have the Athanasian Creed, you have the the Nicene Creed, you have the Apostles' Creed. They They set up fences and protections against heresy and error and said anything inside this fence is good, but you go outside the fence, we have to declare you a heretic. That's right, we have to judge you, declare you a heretic. And either you come back in and call you back into the church or you have to go. But you can't stay here. We're holding on to those weird beliefs. So one of the other things I wanted to do in this segment, this final segment, and I keep saying I'm going to do it and I have been forgetting, but um, just write me at rhyd12001 at gmail.com and help me out a little bit and remind me. Or if you have my number, those of you who do, just text me. Um... But yeah, so what I wanted to do with this segment here was I wanted to uh, advertise some books. And in addition to advertising some of these books, I will also want to um, talk about missions, reaching the unreached. Because there are unreached people still in the world. Remember I told you about that app that I still have it on my phone. I still use it to pray every day. So to add to your prayer list, add to your reading, do some reading. Um, I recommend you find a quiet space in the house. You know, um, if you have a man cave or she shack or whatever they call uh, some place where you can just go and be by yourself and just take at least 30 minutes a day, just 30 minutes a day committed to reading, to reading uh, good Christian literature. Uh, you should be reading your Bible every day and praying. And if all you can do is 10, 15 minutes, then then just do your 10, 15 minutes. That's it. Don't worry about it. God's not sending me to stop. Well, you only you didn't give me enough time. And I don't think it works like that. It's, it's more quality than quantity, uh, qualitative time. And, and um, yeah, so start do what you can. That's my that's my point. Right? Just do what you can. If you can, do this fine. Some of us don't have the luxury having devotions. If you got to choose between devotions and reading a good Christian book, have your devotions. And put the Christian book to the side and read your Bible. 
But if you if you have the time or you can squeeze in to do both, I recommend at least uh, 30 minutes. Um, I do at least an hour a day just doing some some reading. And take your time. And it's not about trying to know everything. Just know something. Even if it's just one thing. You know. Uh, then that's fine. That's the one thing you know. Uh, it, you know. It's okay. And eventually you accumulate and grow in knowledge. So. Uh, this sister was on my podcast. And anybody that's saved. Like I'm a Christian. And you're a Christian. I consider you a brother or sister in Christ. That's why I'm saying sister. Uh, she's not biologically my sister, but in Christ she is. Uh, non-profit Woke, The Reformation of a Modern Day Disciple, written by Dawn Hill, is her biography. Um, it says, this is a story of a woman who was once part of a church, of church. She had served in various capacities for many years and was known as a prophet and a spiritual daughter by the apostle in that church. Then one day, her and her husband expressed some concerns and questions regarding some teaching in the body. That one action caused a cascade of events in a matter of a few months, resulting in her having to make one of the most difficult decisions of her life. After nearly two decades at this particular ministry, she would walk away from the only church she had ever known. The one who had once been identified as a prophet became a nobody to the, to the apostle. She was slandered and falsely accused of things that brought pain and despair. But God used this situation to show her the truth. She began to study the word of God and became a disciple hungry and thirsting for righteousness. This is a story of the non-prophet. And that's P-R-O-P-H-E-T. She came out of the New Apostolic Reformation movement. I did interview her on my podcast, God Willing. I'm going to try to get her back. Don't know if I can. Because she's going to help us go through some of the things on uh, that I'm, some of these councils and heresies that we've been dealing with. So this is going to be a year of confronting heresy in the church. Nonprofit woke. N O N P R O P H E T. I'm pretty sure you can get this on Amazon. And there's another book out here. It's put out by InterServe USA. So you have to go to the website InterServe USA. Just, just Google it called Discovering the, the Unseen, A Journey into the Heart and Mind and World of God. These are not on the main, these books are not on the main uh, bestseller list, but there's good stuff. Everything on the bestseller list is just that. It's on there because it's entertaining. I'm not saying it's not good writing. I'm sure that it is. But as Christians, we're looking for things that are going to help us uh, focus on what God wants. And this was one of those books. Um, and it deals with reaching unreached peoples, the Dundrup Consumed with Hate. Um, that's a people group. Um, and it's, it's going to help you start thinking about missions and unreached peoples, people who don't have the gospel or have the kinds of churches that we have here in America. The thing about America is that we can get up and go anywhere we want when we want to go to, go to church. Some places, they can only go to the church that's, you know, that's in their town and that's it. And if it's a good church, you know, fine, but if not, God help them. So this is very important to look at. Um, so those are the two books today. Uh, Discovering the Unseen and Interserve USA. And you know, it doesn't even have the author's name on it. Although I know the two authors personally who did it. But 
they want to remain remain anonymous. But it's it's excellent writing, and I know these people. They're good, God, two of the godliest people in the world that I know on the planet. So uh, go out and get those books and um, begin to pray for missions and to pray for other parts of the world. And I'm waiting for my phone to start back up here because I very unwisely updated it. get to that last little segment here and again thank you all for listening to the sword and the spirit god bless you all um if you want to give support in prayer please by all means i can use all the prayers that i can get give god give me wisdom and that we get get this right and uh, vet me above being vetted so by all means uh, feel free to do so and let's see here as soon as this app opens up I'll tell you who the unreached group people are of the day oh here we go uh pray for the Bania B-A-N-I-A B-A-N-I-A this is an app you can download on your phone uh unspecified in India, unreached of the day. Their primary language is Hindi. There are no Christians in there, no evangelicals. They are Hindus. Bania is something of a generic term, but there are many Bania communities. Bania trace their history back to about 5,000 years. 50 communities have a traditional caste council election to which is by a voice vote among 44 communities and by secret ballot among six. Widow remarriage is allowed among half of Bania communities and divorces gain social approval among 33 communities, so they're pretty strict. The ministry obstacles, the fear that Christianity aims to turn individuals from from their families, communities, and traditions hinders Bania families and communities from considering the gospel. So they, and they have a point, it will turn you away from your family etc but you know uh, Jesus calls us to to forsake all to follow him so that includes family and so what you can do the prayer request or you can pray for discovery bible studies to be spread rapidly in blessing Bania families and communities and the Bania widely dispersed pray for the workers and the scripture focus is who is like you O Lord among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds doing wonders that's Exodus 15 11 and scripture prayer pray that today's people group will understand that that glory holiness and power come only from our Lord and King prayer focus praying for the Holy Spirit to give the body a love for God's word and a desire to spread its influence Pray for Bania followers of Jesus to be effective in demonstrating how Jesus blesses and heals families and communities. Pray for the Bania that a strong movement to Jesus would bring families and communities uh, to Christ and into rich blessing. And it has a map you can even see what country they're in, etc. Alright, so, and right now praying for the Bania is 1,733 people and you can make it 1,734. So once again, God bless you. I know this is a long epilogue, but uh, I had to do this because I wanted to, to add some other segments onto the podcast. God bless you. 
and I will see you next week. Church Councils at Jerusalem.